0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counterculture as he speaks on the abuse and addiction of alcohol that leaves us empty and missing out on the fullness that God has for us. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time. Is now.
1: amen welcome to impact church everybody this morning we're gonna get started because I got a lot to go through today um, the Lord has really brought a lot to this subject and so there's a lot of teaching that needs to take place in this message today so I want to get right into it and to start out you know when uh, I usually will typically put out a Facebook social media post each week on kind of alluding to what the message uh, each Sunday is about. And I put it out a little earlier than usual. Sometimes I put it on on Saturday afternoon. Stuck it out there on Friday evening this week. I wanted to kind of see what, what happened, right? So I was like, Lord, here it is. It's out there. Because if you saw that, you know we're preaching on a subject that is not commonly spoken of in the church today. So, I was like, Lord, we're either going to have a bunch of people come and know what your word says, or we're going to have a bunch of people skip church today. So, it looks like a bunch of people came to see what the Lord had to say. So, amen. So, we're going to get right to it as we discuss this topic that's right up in our face of alcohol. You know, our sermon series is Counterculture, Speaking the Truth in Love. And we've been going through a lot of issues, tough subjects that we face in society as followers of Christ that quite frequently. Are not preached on anymore. And it's a shame because what Satan does when when the Word of God is not preached and spoken, especially regarding tough subjects, is he runs wild into hearts and lives of people. He loves it when a preacher's scared to stand up and preach the truth. He loves it. If you're scared to preach the truth, you're doing the work of the enemy. Plain and simple. And I know this isn't gonna make me popular today, but I'm not here to be popular, all right? So I'm just here to be faithful to Jesus, preach his word, because this is what I want. I don't want anybody to leave here today and say, well, Brad said, because I'm going to tell you what, Brad said nothing, okay? You are not going to get my opinion today, nor are you going to get somebody else's opinion that is much smarter than I am, okay? Because there's a lot of theologians in the world with all kinds of alphabet soup degrees behind their name, right? But they're a man too. In their opinion, their understanding, their feeling doesn't matter, only what does? Only truth and only God, that's right. So that's what you're going to hear today. What we're going to go through is biblical text and context and words, and we're going to go through historical data, documented historical data of the time, of the age, to look at and corroborate and make understanding and bring light to what the Bible says on this subject. So are you ready? Because you're going to hear from the Lord today and there's not going to be anybody's opinion, not going to be anybody's feeling, there's not going to be any legalism, none of that. So let's prepare our hearts and minds now for what Jesus has to say. Okay? Because there's a lot of people at the sound of my voice today that are right in the midst of this. Either you're dealing with it as an addiction and it's controlling you or you're in it maybe maybe in just a innocent way for for social means and maybe even possibly still even inside of that you have a psychological addiction that you don't even know about maybe not a physical addiction where if you stop you get all shaky and convulsing and all that right that's great if you're if you're not there okay but if you're psychologically addicted what did we just talk about last week who's trying to control the mind your enemy and he's at work so let's look at it today with this subject of alcohol what does god's word have to say we know a lot of people coming here today you have opinions you have feelings on the subject but we know as followers of christ our opinions and our feelings do not matter only truth does. So you're going to hear only truth today, okay? So let us open our hearts and minds to receive and prayerfully consider and let the Holy Spirit do his work on our lives and in the lives of people around us through this truth. Here's some truth, statistical data, as we look at this subject of alcohol in our society, in the church, all right? It's estimated that in 2019, around 139.7 million Americans currently used alcohol. That number equaled roughly half of the populate, excuse me, population at that time. All right, I want you to catch this. Through the COVID-19 pandemic, those numbers may have got a little worse. Are You ready? We'll see the enemy at work. It used to be around half. Okay, through COVID-19, a survey conducted by the Recovery Village in May of 2020 showed that 88% of people reported drinking alcohol, it went up almost. 88 percent. 55 percent reported an increase in alcohol consumption compared to what they previously drank before the pandemic. 18 percent reported a significant increase, all right, of uh, unemployed people. It's said that approximately 87 percent of people who are unemployed are more likely to use and abuse alcohol, and we know what the pandemic has done with that, haven't we? So do you see the enemy at work already? Do you see him seeping in behind the scenes to, to bring something that seems innocent, that's going to wash away the pain, that's going to numb you in your, in your uncertainty and in your fear? And, and I've got this little substitute for you, but oh, how it destroys. Alcohol misuse costs the United States approximately $250 billion annually. And we talked about last week about the significance of the number million, billion, and trillion, if you remember that. If you count to 1 billion, it'll take you around 32 years if you count one number per second. $250 billion annually just from alcohol. Many individuals we know have their first alcoholic beverage before they enter high school, all right? and then especially through high school and college. And here's the problem is they can be unaware of the damage that the excessive alcohol use can bring because we know early exposure is kind of takes precedent and leads to abuse as you get older later in life. All right? There's a big-time correlation. Early exposure to alcohol can have damaging and long-lasting effects on brain development since the brain's not fully developed until the age of 25. And what's the legal drinking age? 21. Still got four years of brain development there. Hmm. This is significant importance because of the age group 18 to 25 year olds, that's the most commonly binge drinking age in our world. And you tell me it's not affecting somebody's brain? And they're mine, where over 54% of them report alcohol use in that age group. If you go to earlier use, even before the age of 18, which we know happens at times, then you start to affect not only the brain and nervous system, you start to affect your sex hormones and delay puberty. You start to play with the very makeup of your body. Because why? Alcohol is a what? It's a drug. It's a drug. One of the most commonly used drugs. dat and nicotine, the highest used drugs across the world and in our nation. For adults, excessive alcohol consumption is associated with increased risk for head and neck, esophageal, liver, and colorectal cancers for both men and women, and increased breast cancer risk for women. In fact, UPDATED GUIDELINES FROM THE AMERICAN CANCER SOCIETY RECOMMEND AVOIDING ALCOHOL ALTOGETHER. I'M GOING TO SAY THAT AGAIN A LITTLE LOUDER FOR THE PEOPLE IN THE BACK. NOT REALLY FOR Y'ALL BECAUSE I KNOW Y'ALL LISTENING JUST FINE, BUT YOU KNOW, LIKE THE LITTLE SAYING, RIGHT? IT IS NOW STATED, HEAR ME AGAIN, BECAUSE THIS IS NOT ME. UPDATED GUIDELINES FROM THE AMERICAN CANCER SOCIETY RECOMMEND AVOIDING ALCOHOL ALTOGETHER. There you go. Okay? That doesn't come out of the Bible. That didn't come out of the 700 Club or Focus on the Family. Secular research. It's not healthy. You get that? Get that message? Let's keep going because it doesn't stop there. Okay? All right? Seven million adolescents ages 12 to 20 report currently using alcohol despite. It's illegality for that age group. In fact, alcohol is the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. Preventable cause of death. And we got a lot of focus on preventing death in this world right now through a pandemic. And nobody's saying anything about this. The third leading cause of preventable death. Mom, do you really care about lives or is this an agenda? In fact, here we go, it's gone up. It used to be around 88,000 deaths per year. Now, according to the CDC, more than 95,000 deaths per year are related to alcohol in the United States alone. That's almost three times what a gun kills, by the way, in a year. That's 261 deaths every day. So you get this. Every 50 minutes, a person in the United States dies from a motor vehicle accident related to alcohol. Every 50 minutes. So by the time this service is done, from the time we started, two people lost their life. That didn't need to happen. You know, many lies surround alcohol use. And it starts in our society. Starts on your television. When you see the beer commercials, right? And it makes it look all good and glorified, right? You got the best looking of the women and the most macho, good looking of the men at the party. Ain't nobody out of shape, ain't nobody ugly which is the first lie because I've never been anywhere like that. I don't know about y'all, okay? So the lie's right up front, but see, then it goes deeper. to make you think that that this is going to bring you happiness. And there's that underlying message. This is what's going to fill you up inside, guys. Do you see that message underlying? And it's so captivating because, I mean, and and we watch the Super Bowl, right, and football, and, and hands down, most times, who has the funniest commercials? Budweiser, the beer companies. Guys, do you see what's going on? But see, they don't show you the truth about alcohol. They don't show you the mangled wrecked car with the family dead on side of the road because a drunk driver had a car full of alcohol where he's been drinking all day and all night and he just killed a family. Why don't they show you that? because it won't sell you any beer, will it? They won't show you the wife that's beaten and bruised and the kids that's hiding in the closet because they're scared daddy just came home because he's drunk again. That's not a very funny commercial, but it's true. And then if that's not enough, We've got an enemy who wants to twist scripture on us all the time in all kinds of ways to make us doubt God's promise and to make us believe that what's really true is not true. And to deceive us into going a different path than even what God really intends in scripture. That's what he does. He twists scripture. So let's look at that today because we know one of the most common arguments for drinking inside the church is Jesus turned the water into wine, and Jesus drank wine, so why can't I? That is a great question. So let's look at that today, can we? Can we? Let me pray for us before we dive in. (laughs) Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus and Lord right now we thank you for who you are. We're here to magnify you, to glorify you, to lift you up, to put your name on high, to make you Lord of our lives so that nothing else is Lord of our lives but you are Lord alone. Lord, we're here to have no control over us except your spirit so Lord right now can we hear from your word can we hear from your truth can we hear from the truth of the documented data from the historical times around this era to know exactly what we're looking at to know exactly what your word says so that we will not be deceived by an enemy who wants to destroy he wants to destroy our health, he wants to destroy our minds, he wants to destroy our families, he wants to destroy our church, he wants to destroy everything that has anything to do with you and your creation. So, Lord, let us hear your truth, your word. And, Father, right now I want to hide behind the cross. I don't want anybody to hear me and see me. I'm not important, Lord, you are. My words aren't important, your words are because your words father change lives your word sets the captives free father lord so today i pray that we would not just be hearers of the word that we would be doers today Lord, opens our heart and our minds to be receptive to you and your truth, and we give you all the glory for what you're about to do through the presentation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Rocking on. Let's go. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 through 18. It's going to be our teaching passage out of this for today on this subject. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 18. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And then I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV as well, all right? So you ready? So here we go. Verse 15, New King James verse. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, I'm going to read that to you in the NIV, obviously saying the same thing, but bringing little words that are a little more in today's language instead of circumspectly and that kind of stuff, right? Nobody talks like that, at least maybe I don't, you know. Anyway, NIV, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit." Guys, I don't know if you noticed or not, but being filled with the Spirit is necessary to live the Christian life you cannot live the christian life apart from the spirit of god it is impossible okay we need the spirit of god to guide us and direct us to give us a a new heart all right to put his spirit in us is what ezekiel 33 says to give us a desire to follow his word that's what the spirit of god does in you so if the spirit of god is not in you This is going to seem like something that you want to run far away from today. Can I tell you that? You're going to want to put your hand up and just walk out this church if it didn't make it very obvious today, right? That's what is going to happen if you're being led by your flesh and not the Spirit today. Okay, So we need to right now say, Lord, have your way in my heart and mind. Show me my ways. Show me what pleases you and what you would have me do through your truth today okay we need the spirit of god to guide and direct us in all circumstances all right we need to move as such from human understanding and opinion to biblical truth and understanding which leads us in followed obedience okay which is part of the great commission all right it's not just making disciples baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit but then also jesus said teaching them to obey all that I've commanded." What is all that Jesus has commanded? This. Every single bit of this is Jesus speaking. Jesus was there from the beginning. He is just as much the author of Genesis as he is the red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Did you know that? I hope you do. Okay, because Jesus is God. John 1 says, He was there from the beginning. Go back and read it, study it, and look at it, okay? This is his word. This is his commands. Therefore, this is what we are to walk in obedience to, okay, as a follower of Christ. We can't just pick and choose and throw things out just because it doesn't match with what our flesh wants. We have to wholeheartedly fulfill this through the Spirit, okay? Verse 15, right off the bat, says, look carefully, all right? at what we're doing. All right, I'm going to read us in the NIV. It says, be careful then how you live. We need to be careful how we live. We need to really think about our actions, our conduct. Why? Because the enemy has put some landmines out for you to step on. Did you know that? For me to step on. And if we're not careful, we can step on one of them boogers. But here's how a lot of us Christians just kind of go down through this minefield, just doing our own thing, just not looking where we walk, not where we step, we don't care. And then we often, one of time, wonder why things are blowing up. We often wonder why, why the enemy is taking precedent now in the church and people are drifting away from the truth of Scripture. We've stepped on a bunch of landmines and we didn't care. So we need to be careful how we, how we walk, what we do, because why? Because the days are evil. There's an enemy trying to destroy us with things. We've already talked about in so many ways through all these subjects, how Satan is behind the scenes trying to use what God created, twist his word and do things to destroy people in their lives and set them on a path that he doesn't intend. All right. So we need to get that from the start, because then the Bible says we need to walk as wise, not unwise. In other words, we don't need to be, we shouldn't be a fool. All right. Unwise is a fool in so many ways. It's what the Bible says. Because we know that the choices that you and I make in life matter, don't they? The, 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 you know what your life is? It's the sum of your choices. What you've chose, what you do, how you walk leads to what your life looks like. We've experienced that in good ways and in and bad. And you can look back. And you could agree with that and I'll say yes that is very true so what does the Lord have to say of that you can go back we don't have time to look through all the scripture because I want to get through a lot of this teaching but we know in Matthew 7 that there's a, a a lot about how to put things into practice and how to, to build our house right in Matthew where Jesus says to, to build our house on the rock that the wise man builds his house on the rock but the foolish man builds his house on what sand Stuff that's not gonna hold up. Stuff that's actually gonna cause destruction when what happens? When the storms come, when the wind blows. Anybody ever gone through this life and had a storm and the wind just feel like it's beating against you? I have. I can tell you through this whole series the storm's gotten really strong (laughs) in my house. Praise God I'm still here. What are you building your house on? Shifting sand of the world and its theology and its understanding and its wisdom? Are you building your house on the rock? So we need to move away from sandy foundations today and get on the rock. So tap the brother or sister beside you and say, ditch the sand and get on the rock. Tell them. Ditch the sand and get on the rock. Okay, that's where we're at today. So let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. Y'all had more fun with that than I thought you would. All right, here we go. So the word says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone defiles God's temple, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy which temple you are. Uh-oh. Let no one deceive himself. If any one among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness, with God. I don't think I need to say anything past that. Let's move on. We know verse 16 here in this teaching passage today, all right, commands us to to be careful these days are evil, to make most of every opportunity. That means don't waste your life. Don't waste your life with foolishness of the world. High schoolers, college-age kids, young adults, Don't fall for the lie that this is your time to live it up and live like the world and you can come to to saving faith later or you can live the sanctified life later when when you're an adult and you're married and you settle down. Don't fall for the lie. Satan wants to destroy you right now in your young age. He wants to set you on patterns and paths that are going to bring you down. That's where he starts. It's when we're young. But also, people just don't pay attention. We don't make the most of our opportunities. The most of your opportunity would be to live for Jesus now, to let him be salt and light through you so that other people see Christ in you. Not so you just live like everybody else does. Verse 17, again, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Everybody wants to know what the Lord's will is for their life. I'll say it again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You won't know what the Lord's will is for your life until you make yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And don't conform to the patterns of this world anymore, but allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The promise is then you will know what the Lord's will is. Have you therefore then made yourself a living sacrifice? Have you not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world and allowed yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind through Christ's word? Or have you let some patterns of worldliness still seep in and control? All right? Verse 18 commands has two commands then, as we get right to it. And to get to the second one, we have to get past the first one, because there's a pretty deep contrast. Don't be drunk with wine, which is excess, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And we talked about last week how drugs, which alcohol is a drug, seeks to control you, control your mind. Okay, so in context here, we know speaking to the Ephesians that there was some goofy stuff going on with their religious practices where Greek mythology and all that stuff had kind of seeped in and People thought they had to get drunk to hear from God and to be closer to God. And there was some goofy stuff going on, all right? So Paul's telling them, hey, you don't need to be drunk to get in close with God. Don't be controlled by that because it leads to sinfulness. It leads, it's actually a sign of unsavedness, okay? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just talking about filling your glass. It's to be controlled by the Spirit is what he's getting in. Don't be controlled by wine and the things of this world would lead to more sinfulness. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Because he didn't say there to, to, to be filled with the Spirit or anything like that in terms of you need to have the Spirit or anything like that, because that happens at salvation. He's speaking to the church, okay? What he's saying is move away from your past life, your past customs, the old you, live in the new life through the Spirit, okay? Where now this isn't just a a second act of grace, this is a continued act of grace. The same grace that justifies, that brings salvation, is the same grace that sanctifies. Paul is pleading for their sanctification, for their separation from the world. That's why earlier in chapter 5 he says, find out what pleases the Lord and do it. Do you live your life like that? Is that that your number one goal? Lord, what would please you? What would honor you in how I say, how I act, what I do, what I listen to, what I watch? It should, as a follower of Christ, that should be on our minds. What would bring you glory? What would edify the spirit of the Holy God in my life right now, all right? So it's this direction that Paul's pointing, okay? Which then, of course, brings in the subject of alcohol, plain and simple. Okay? So let's look at it. Most people would say there's three things you never talk about in the church, right? We've talked about that before. That's sex, politics, and alcohol. Well, we've already talked about sex and politics, so let's go ahead and get alcohol out of the way. All right? Here we go. All right? Lord have mercy. All right. We know a big topic today. A lot of feelings, a lot of opinions. But again, feelings and opinions don't matter. Only truth does. Okay? So, this is what I do know and this is what you should know. God is not the author of confusion. Can we say that? Can we agree to that wholeheartedly? So, is this a gray area in Scripture then that leads its way to relative truth or what you believe is okay and what I believe is okay and we're just gonna have to agree to disagree? Is that where this is or is there absolute truth on this subject that can anchor us and guide us in all our decisions in life to avoid an enemy who wants to destroy okay so let's look at that and let's figure out what this is because we won't know unless somebody preaches and teaches on it okay so here we go I think everybody could agree that the Bible wholeheartedly says numerous times that being drunk is sin right in fact unrepentant drunkenness means you're going to hell. It's what Galatians and 1 Corinthians 6 say and numerous other places, okay? Let's, Let's bring that in. Not because you've got drunk in the past, not because you messed up and got drunk today or last night, but unrepentant, habitual, I don't care, I'm doing what I want to do, this is my life, Lord, not yours. I love you, I know you're Lord, I know you're Jesus, but this is what I'm doing in my life. That is not salvation, okay? That is disobedience. That is a heart that pushes away the spirit, all right? The only unforgivable sin, all right? To denounce the spirit of God in your life. So, here we go. We know drunkenness, sin, and let's be clear, we're talking about wise and foolish living. One clear way to act like a fool is to be drunk, all right? (laughs) Leads to a bunch of junk. Took my son to a, a football game a couple years ago to orange bowl actually in miami we went and watched the florida gators play uva and um we were there and we're florida gator fans because he got into football around the tim tebow area so we're weird we we're live in virginia and we're gator fans all right but that's how it happened so anyway we're there cheered on the gators even though uva's playing and this one guy's up there and he is soused i mean he's just he's just glazed you know what i'm saying and he's acting a fool. I mean, just yelling, screaming. I mean, he's not being violent, but he's just, you name it, he was doing it and saying it. Like, I'm just going to stop right there, all right? And after a while, kind of toward the end of the game, after my son's witnessed this for almost three hours, because <laughs> it got really rough at the end, as he continued to drink more and more through the game, Braden says, Daddy, what's wrong with that guy? Is he special (laughs) (laughs) no son he's drunk and it was a very eye-opening experience for my son the first time he's seen somebody under control of alcohol and it was pretty rough so we know one way to act a fool is to be that there's no doubt about it okay all right so paul knew this paul explained this because he knew intoxication caused more problems, all right? And alcoholism, the abuse of and and continued drunkenness, it's more than a disease, which it is, okay? It is sin, and it leads to destruction of the soul, okay? But it can be broken through the Spirit and the power of God to set you free from the grips of the enemy who wants to control you and destroy you. Jesus came to set the captives free today, so I want you to hear that. And there's so many people who struggle. You're not alone. There's many people in this church today who have been set free from the grips of alcohol. And I almost wish I had enough time. I'd like to get every one of them up here so they could give you their testimony and tell you about the grips and what alcohol did to their life and how it almost destroyed their lives and their marriages and their jobs and everything and, 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 and Christ set them free. Amen. So, we know it's wrong. We know it's destructive. But here's the big question, right? Here we go. You ready? When are you drunk? oh what's your definition does the Bible give a definition does it give a a, a blood alcohol content level in here that we can say oh there it is right here doesn't does it so when are you drunk I don't know about you but I would be questioning that really significantly if I thought alcohol needed to be a part of my life in any way shape or form no matter how I wanted to justify it. I would really be questioned as a follower of Christ, but Lord, when am I drunk? Because it's very subjective. I went to college. I played college football. I was the only person on the college football team that drank, that did not drink, sorry. Come on, man. That did not drink. I had my my other problems and issues, okay? Don't get me wrong, I'm not a saint. But I was the only one that didn't drink, okay? Lifelong teetotaler here, if you will, okay? But where was I even going with that? I just screwed myself up. Oh, because, man, I would go to parties, hang out with these guys, and and plus people I had in college, and and, uh, man, I heard people say, man, you're drunk, when they're pointing and looking at them. And they'd be like, No, I'm not drunk, I'm just buzzing. So when are you drunk? Is it subjective? Would the Lord lead such a definitive subject that leads to destruction and death of the soul and also causes harm to the body and harm to families and all the destruction we know in society that we just read about through statistics, would he leave that up to our own subjectivity? I want you to answer that in your heart, in your mind right now because the answer, you know what it is. No. Okay? It's not up to your call when you're drunk. All right? So once you start thinking about that, we've talked about the increased numbers of drinking all in society, especially over the past year and a half during the pandemic. Women are a big cause of this. More women started drinking through the pandemic. Here's the danger. Women absorb and metabolize the alcohol differently than men do. They're more easily intoxicated. All right? And they have increased risk to long term effects of alcohol. They get drunk faster just as you get drunk faster as you get older. And a lot of middle-aged older women started picking up the bottle, okay? Alcohol actually only takes seconds from consumption to start affecting your nervous system. And then if you continue with it, there's chronic and permanent long-term effects and short-term effects on the nervous system. We know. In terms of classifying you when you're drunk for the police department when you're behind the wheel of a car is 0.08 right then you're too drunk to drive it says okay but some people go a little farther and some different states and some uh, companies that have commercial drivers and such say you cannot even have a blood alcohol content of 0.04 What's all that mean, Brad? What are you talking about? Can we get a little more specific today? Within one to two drinks, you're .04. If you're too drunk to drive for a company, are you too drunk for Jesus? One, two drinks, you're there. 120-pound woman. Who drinks two drinks in one hour is at 0.08. Two drinks in one hour over dinner at Olive Garden. Two five-ounce glasses of wine. You're there. You could break that in half. One drink in an hour, you're at 0.04. You're already at what other? Some commercial drivers deem you're too drunk to drive. You're at 0.04. Let's go a little deeper, okay? In Medical News Today Journal, there was an article in 2018 That said, San Diego State University researchers found just a single alcoholic drink, one, meaning one 12-ounce beer, one 5-ounce glass of wine, or one 1.5-ounce spirits has the power to mess with our minds, and you're just not aware of it yet. Your decision-making ability and your theta waves in your brain are being affected with one drink. So I ask you again, when are you under the control of something by today's standards? Every illustration of drunkenness turns out bad in the Bible. You can look at Noah a lot. You have my examples, you have your own examples that you've seen in your life. It never turns out good, okay? Isaiah 5, says, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing strong drink. Proverbs 20, verse one. We know this one, you've probably heard it. It says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Those who are led astray by them are not wise. So there's some pretty pertinent truth to go along with everything but we're not done yet let's keep going all right which leads us back to say again please I want to keep put this in front if you have a problem in this area please don't get the condemnation message today please 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 hear the message of conviction yes from the Lord that wants to lead you in a different direction and set you free we have a, an amazing ministry here with chain breakers where people get together as a group and talk about addictions and overcoming but you may need deeper help than that if you're farther in you may need to go to a detox and a rehab facility you may need counseling we want to as a church come rallying around you and help you get in those directions so if you have an issue today please don't not leave here without contacting or letting somebody know today so we can start you on the path for Christ to set you free physically and spiritually all right all right so here we go but Paul's point here in verse 18 telling them not to be controlled by wine but be controlled and filled by the Spirit is talking about hey a different direction the old's gone this new has come for you because again like we talked about in this pagan society, they had Greek and Roman influences on their religion, all right? They, they said, you used to have to be filled with drunkenness to experience the Lord. And they thought they had to be drunk to achieve this higher level of consciousness and commune with the lowercase g gods. Okay, I'm being serious. That's what was infiltrated into the church at Ephesus from previous Greek and Roman um, theology. So much so, you the Greek god Zeus, all right, he had a baby, that was extracted from the womb, supposedly, of a female and sewn into his thigh. I ain't kidding. You can look that up. Zeus had a baby sewn into his thigh, and then it was born to be the ruler of the earth, Dionysius. And he made the religion where you could rise to commune with the gods through ecstasy, ecstasy, fueled through drunkenness, and he became the god of wine. In the Roman culture, that God of wine was Bacchus, B A C C H U S. So we see initially, way back, this twist of Satan to bring this into the church for debauchery and everything that Paul talked about. So Paul's now saying, stay away. This is how Satan wants to capture your mind and destroy you. All right. Even if you go into Corinthians and talking about communion, how he's talking about you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That's what he's talking about. How, how once was, was used for, for uh, pleasing and evil and you can't bring that now into the house of the Lord. OK, because Satan's a counterfeit. He's always going to try to give you something that seems right and seems OK and looks OK, but then it's going to destroy. All right. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to the man, but at the end it leads to what? destruction. Okay? Here we see again kind of part of the the curse where Satan started through sin to take God's creation and and try to manipulate it and twist it and here again where he's taken the fruit of the earth that God created and he's using it to destroy. Paul uses this word excess, all right, in this passage in Ephesians 5 and it's the Greek word asotia And it means uncontrolled dissipation, debauchery, excessive indulgence, and sensual pleasures. That's what control by alcohol leads to, all right? So, we all know, we covered it, drunk, no. When are you drunk? Great question. You look at all the research that starts to say one and two drinks, you start to be controlled. You should really, really, really start to ask yourself, Lord, is this what I need to have in my life, okay? How much am I being controlled by this? And I don't even know, okay? Research shines the light right on it. But let's go deeper, all right? Should Christians drink alcohol then? What does it say? What does the Bible say? What what is some truth to this? First of all, there's no judgment up here. There is no condemnation whatsoever. This is shining the light of truth of scripture so that the Holy Spirit of the living God can do his work in your life, in your heart, in your family, okay? All right? So let's be uh, receptive to what God has to say because again, nobody's opinion truth. So what does the Bible say? All right? Because we need to know does the Bible forbid drinking wine? All right? Is there a verse that says thou shalt not drink wine? Was that the 11th commandment? Oh, not in there. If it was, we could quote that verse, close the Bible and go to lunch early. All right? It's not in there though. Because actually, they drank wine back in the day, right? in The Bible it did. But what? Okay, you ready? A lot of people justify their drinking of alcohol today because of the fact that it was drink then, all right? Which would be a great reason to say it's okay, but. Wouldn't you agree, and we all should agree, that if we're going to justify drinking today alcohol, that we should make sure we're doing it in the same way in the fashion of which they did it back then? Could agree to that? Because if somehow it's different now, or somehow there's some meaning behind something in here that's not fully coming to light, we need to figure this out, right? so that we can justify ourselves through God's Word. That's where we should be. So let's look at that, okay? Because there is some fabulous, fabulous information in the Bible through the Greek and Hebrew words and their meanings that bring to light everything that you need to know, okay? When the word wine is used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word is yayin, in the New Testament, the word is onios, okay? That's the Hebrew and the Greek words for wine, okay? They refer to the juice of the grapes, which is mixed wine, okay? That, that's, that's the key. It's always referring to mixed wine. It could be mixed with various things when you go back and do the research. It could be mixed with honey, with herbs, with myrrh, but most commonly it was mixed with water, okay? It's important. We'll go deeper in looking at that. Here we go. There's another word that's not as frequently used glucose which is in acts is the fresh but still fermented wine and then there's tarash that's the same word for that in the old testament even more frequently used again is shakar in the old testament the hebrew and in the greek sikara in the new testament that is unmixed wine or more commonly referred to as strong drink a lot of times translated as beer okay strong drink oftentimes forbidden in the bible and as we'll see through the culture left for basically the barbarians to do nobody was to touch it unless you were just set out to get drunk that was strong drink okay all right so let's keep going when we look what is there any historical data documented historical data from the time to substantiate and give definition to this mixing procedure of this because that's important if this is mixed how's it mixed what's going on here because if i'm going to justify my alcohol consumption today by the bible i need to know what was going on here so that i can do the same we should all agree okay so mixed what's that mean i still don't have understanding man this is beautiful if you go back to documented historical data nobody's opinion again nobody's feelings nobody's theological understanding documented historical data from the jewish encyclopedia in 1901 volume 12 page 533 states that in the rabbinic period that would be back to old testament at least as far as yayin, that's the Old Testament word for wine, is to be distinguished from shikar, that's the Old Testament word for strong drink, remember. The former is diluted with water, the later is undiluted. Starting to bring some understanding there? Some more. You ready? If you look to Robert Stein, professor, at Bethel College, professor of New Testament study. He wrote an article on wine drinking in biblical times, looking back at historical data and stuff that was going on. Listen to this. In ancient times, wine was usually stored in large pointed jugs called amphorae. When wine was used, it was poured from the amphorae into large bowls called cratars, where it was mixed with water from these cratars cups or killicks were then filled what's important for us to note he says is that before the wine was drank it was mixed with water the killicks were filled not from the amphorae where they were not mixed but from the cratars where they were mixed okay historical data from time that's not all there is there's more if you go back to what the uh, Jews had written down for their oral traditions and how things were written down in the culture, they had something called the Talmud. Let me give a brief description here real quick of the Talmud, all right? It gives a lot of understanding to customs of the times, but it is not something that you go searching through looking for biblical understanding on all subjects. I can promise you that, all right? Because you have a lot of um, false teaching in there. You have a lot of things that don't line up with scripture, all right? Jesus even addressed some of the Pharisees of the time and the Jewish customs, how everything wasn't right. We know even the Roman Catholic Church come up with a lot of customs, a lot of things that they do, okay, that is man-made, that doesn't align directly with scripture. So here we go, all right? So not going to this for everything, but in this subject, for this matter, it brings some great understanding because this is how they treated their wine, okay? It's in there, in the Talmud, all right? It includes instructions concerning how they were to um, drink it and consume it in several different chapters. One section in it is Shabbath 77a, and it states that wine, which does not carry at least three parts water to one part wine, is no longer wine. It's no longer onyosh and yayin. It would be considered strong drink, shikar, sikara, meant to get you drunk. You see the truth coming off the page just through numerous times? Okay? Three parts to one was the minimum it would be diluted. It would oftentimes be diluted much more than that, okay? Sometimes as much as 20 parts to one. Why? Because they drank this back in the time, because they didn't have Coke and Pepsi and all that stuff. When you can Gatorade, all right? When you came in thirsty, when your kids were playing and they came in thirsty, you would give them wine. So, do you think you would give them what you're buying off the shelf at Kroger today? But if you're diluting this stuff down twenty parts to one, now you're talking. Why? Why would they do that? We're going to look deeper in this because we see that there is a reason they did this. The wa- the water back in the day oftentimes was not healthy. There was bacteria in it it was not sanitary like the water we drink today okay all right so therefore this slight wine content had effects to kill the bacteria in the water so it made it healthy and safe so therefore you could give it to your children they wouldn't get sick with E. coli but yet they wouldn't get drunk either because it was diluted it's the same word I want you to start to see scripture come to life okay all right and the truth just come jumping off this page because it's there. If you do a 3 to 1 ratio, it drops the alcohol content of wine, all right, to about 2%, give or take. If you go to 4 to 1 ratio, it goes under 2%. Do you see what starts to happen? All right? Now, if you want to get drunk, you got to start drinking trash cans full. All right? Okay? Let's keep going, because that's going to bring some understanding to Scripture in a lot of ways. Okay? It's beautiful some yin, all right was unfermented even all right professor of arabic and professor of hebrew samuel lee from cambridge university did some studies and looking back at history and and it's corroborated with a guy named pliny who was the kind of a roman historian of the day he had writings called natural history from the time he had 37 volumes which documented all the facts of the world and the culture of that time all right And they said this that often they would take the wine the fermented wine okay because please understand this when we say wine we're talking about fermented stuff here okay some people say well that's just grape juice no that is false teaching okay all right let me just go and tell you that all right when it says wine it means wine okay but then there's definitions to mixed and unmixed and all this. this is why we're going through all this all right okay so here we go we know that Historical data shows that they would oftentimes take this wine, this fermented wine, regular wine, they would boil it, okay? They would boil it until it turned into a syrup or a thick paste. And then they would put it in wineskins to save it and store it. They can then choose to take this syrup and paste and put it on bread, all right, like jelly, like what we do today, all right, to make something. Or, if they wanted to, they could take a little bit, put it in a cup, mix some water with it, and turn it back into a beverage, okay? What happens to something when you boil it? Two things, all right, really. One is it dehydrates, correct? That's why all the water evaporated and it turned into a syrup and a paste. What else happens? What happens to alcohol when you boil it? uh-oh the alcohol content went away yeah okay start to see some truth okay coming in same word though okay same word in scripture so it could be just freshly fermented wine that's diluted straight with water which we'll look at here in a little bit or it could be something that's been boiled made into a paste stored and used for various things later okay same word that's very important because there were times when they wanted no fermentation, all right? Again, when their kid's around, 20 parts water, one part wine, whatever. Here we go. Taking all this data into consideration and knowing some truth of the day that nobody can refute, that this is what's going on, it brings light to scripture of what yayin onyos means, okay, versus sikara and shikar. Now, to consume the amount of alcohol that's in two martinis, okay, you ready for this? To now get the same alcohol content that's in two regular martinis by drinking wine containing three parts water to one part wine, you would have to drink over 22 glasses. Anybody thirsty? I don't see no people drinking 22 glasses at dinner. So early church continued this tradition, all right, in the same custom of serving only the mixed wine. Unmixed, again, was strong drink, all right, and was unacceptable to the culture. and was for the barbarians, for the heathens, the people that just wanted to get drunk and get a buzz, all right? Because if you did it with the yayin and onyos, the, the mixed wine, you had to really set out to get drunk. If that's all you had, you had to sit down and the Bible says, woe to those who tarry long. On the wine. I always wondered what that meant, Terry long. Because it don't take long for a 120-pound woman to get drunk with wine. We already said two glasses, you're at 0.08. That's not tarrying long. What do you mean, tarry long? It makes the Bible make sense, doesn't it? Now, with it's mixed, you gotta sit there and go, 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 I mean, you gotta be a fish to try to reach the buzz. Okay? A camel, all
0: right?
1: Whatever you wanna say. You gotta sit down and try. So let's read Proverbs 23, since this is going to really make a lot of uh, things make sense. And so let me speak to this first before we read Proverbs 23. Everybody knows that the, the first miracle that Jesus did in John chapter 2, at the wedding of Cana. he turned the water into wine, okay? Onios is the word, okay? Very clear. Now we have some definition of that, because I'm going to be honest with you. I always, always wondered how, how? If this was wine, like what we think wine today, in this undiluted context, and they had already drank what was provided, and then Jesus just filled six more jars up that were 20 to 30 gallons each, he just made them 120 to 180 gallons more wine. How did they not get drunk? You should really be asking yourself that because if it's wine like we have today, and Jesus just did that, he just made people drunk, which means he just went against his own word, which means that he's a liar. And he's not a liar, okay? Let the Bible start to make sense, and let's look, all right? But when you start to look at diluted three parts to one, five parts to one, 10 parts to one, 20 parts to one, whatever it might have been, now it makes sense. Plus, you look at the fact that we think of a wedding today like it's a two to four hour event, all right? And if you drink a lot in that time frame, you're getting drunk. Weddings back in this day were not two to four hours. They were two to four days. Up to a week, these wedding feasts. Do you see, you see this, all right? It's spread out over a period of time. This is not a one-time event. Here, drink up, be merry, get drunk. It's not it. One false teacher, pastor named Mark Driscoll said that Jesus was the first bartender when he turned the water into wine. He's the lead pastor of a church in Seattle and it makes me want to buy a ticket to the West Coast (laughs) just to walk up to that brother and smack him upside the back of the head with this in Jesus name of course and say brother what are you looking at? What are you teaching and what are you doing, okay? This is what we need to understand. Go to Proverbs 23 for me, because this really was a a verse of scripture until I learned all this and saw this that really I never had answers to. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 33. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 33. If I can get my Bible to act right here. All right, Proverbs. Chapter 23, verses 29 to 33. Ready? Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. We just talked about that. I always wondered about that. You mean linger long? Those who go in search of mixed wine. All right, remember? Go in search and just try to drink it up. Here we go. Verse 31. This always blew my mind. I had no understanding of this until all this data. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You just got drunk. Do not look at it when it sparkles red in the cup. What does that mean, Lord? Because you just told us not only as Christians should we not drink it, we shouldn't even look at it. What does that mean? When it sparkles red in the cup. always wondered, maybe you have. Maybe you just passed it along. Let's do a little example here, all right? Little arts and crafts here. I got something red and it's not red wine. See, I just got to play with it. We got fruit juice from Minute Maid, all right? But it's red. So let's pour five ounces in here, all right? Here is our red wine, all right? It's red and sparkling in the cup, isn't it? Okay, but now if I go back to everything we just learned, and I have to at least go three parts water to one part wine for it to be considered onyos and yayin and not to be in the realms of shikara, all right, and shikar, I have to now add my bottle of water here, don't I? All right, we're going to let that mix up a little bit let's see if that bad boy ends up being a different color than that in a minute. It says, don't even look at it when it sparkles red in the cup. Because it stings, it destroys, it causes pain. You're going to see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. And I think you could already see the color change to a little more orangey than bright red, can't you? Does truth make the Bible make sense to you? Don't even look at it when it's red, when it's in its pure, fermented form, undiluted. Don't even look at it because it's going to mess you up. In one to two glasses, it's going to get you. It's going to start to control your brain and your nervous system. Even documented science just told us that. And the Bible said that. Boy, the Bible has a lot to say, doesn't it, guys? So why would they mix it? Increased quantity, of course, get more for it. It actually releases flavor. In a New York Times article on July 28th of 2010, it says wine that's over 10% alcohol is acidic. And when mixed with water, it enhances the flavor by taking away the sourness and releases the flavor that's suppressed by the alcohol content. That's secular data for you right there. Number three, of course, it prevents drunkenness. We've already talked about that in so many ways. Number four, it was an antiseptic because the water was unsanitary and oftentimes had bacteria, all right? A microbiologist from Oregon State went to study this. In October 2002, the American Society of Microbiologists found that that the uh, fermentation of wine, when mixed in with the water, killed E. coli, killed Salmonella, killed Staphylococcus, and killed Kebcilia. Within 30 to 60 minutes, killed it quick and it's not the alcohol that did it either it was something in the fermentation process The, the malic and the tartaric acid produced in fermentation process killed it so it's even in the paste we talked about even when the alcohol got burnt out remember food boiling that malic and tartaric acid were still in the paste so when they mixed it again it still killed the bacteria so we wouldn't get sick all right so wine in this context was looked at as a gift from God for them at this time because it was necessary right because they lived in an unsanitary world guys we live in a sanitary world so is it necessary for us today a lot of people would say but there's health benefits to wine Brad that's why I drink it Paul even said to Timothy people bring that up Paul told Timothy don't just drink water alone have a little wine to settle your stomach it's an antiseptic in there we just we just looked at this why he told him that first of all we see Timothy was trying to abstain from it to a fear, to refrain from the appearance of evil to Romans 14 which we we're going to talk about but Paul said hey if your stomach's getting all jacked up with E. cold don't die you're better here on the earth take a little bit and kill the stuff got it We can go to the cabinet today and grab Pepto-Bismol or a lot of different things to settle our stomachs, so I doubt you need that for a tummy ache. Okay? But some people say, I take it from my heart. Okay, well, let's look at that. In New York Times in 2008, a study was done, an article put out, it says, grape juice may not provide the... The buzz that alcohol does, but you can still toast to good health with it when it comes to the ability to avert heart disease. Alcohol in moderation can relax the blood vessels and increase levels of HDL, that's the good cholesterol. But the substances believed to provide much of red wine's heart benefits, resverfetrol and flavonoids, are also found in grape juice, especially the variety made from red and dark purple Concord grapes. Independent studies have found that, like alcohol, grape juice can reduce risk of blood clots and prevent LDL, which is bad cholesterol, from sticking to coronary arteries, among other cardiac benefits. One study conducted by scientists at the University of Wisconsin and published in the Journal of Circulation looked at the effects of two servings of Concord grape juice a day in 15 people with coronary artery disease. After two weeks, the subjects had improved blood flow and reduced oxidation of LDL. Oxidized LDL can damage arteries. Other studies in humans and animals, included a couple years ago in the Journal of Arsteriosclerosis, have shown that daily consumption of grape juice may lower blood pressure and cholesterol levels. AKA, you don't need the alcohol to get the heart benefits. It's in the grape juice as well. So, is it the wisest choice then, right now? Are you free to do it? Yeah, if you do it like this. I'm not even sure what that fruit juice would taste like water down that much. I don't know, but that's where it's at if you do it in the biblical sense and even as much as 20 parts to one. So the goal was not to get a buzz or to get drunk or to have any kind of soothing effects from the alcohol as a depressant, the drug that it is. Christ wants to be that for you, not a drug. He wants to soothe you. He wants to relax you. He wants to meet you after a hard day, a hard week at work, after you get stressed with the kids. He wants you to run to him, not to that. It's not necessary. We see you can go through the Bible. We don't have time because I've got to wrap this up really quick. There was many instances through Scripture to abstain. We know through the, the priests in Leviticus were to abstain. Kings in Proverbs 31. There was the Nazarite vow given to Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist which were they were to abstain completely from it even the onyosh yayin okay even the watered down mixed stuff Luke 1 15 says talking about John the Baptist for he will be great in the sight of the Lord he is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born and Jesus said he was the greatest man to ever live God wants us to be set apart okay that's plain and simple, all through scripture. You read that through the New Testament. Second Corinthians 6 tells us to come out from them and be separate. Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Don't fall into the patterns of the world anymore. Come on out of this, OK? Be separate. First Corinthians 6, and you could go through Galatians and different things that, that talk about the freedoms that are in Christ, but, but not all these freedoms are beneficial, all right? Even in First Corinthians 6, Paul said that, yeah, that. There's freedoms in Christ, but not everything's beneficial because I will not be brought under the control or the power of any. I don't want to be under the control, even in my mind, even if I'm not physically addicted to the stuff and I could quit anytime I want. Maybe I'm psychologically addicted. Maybe I need that soothing effect, that little buzz I get, that relaxation from the drug. Maybe I, I subconsciously need that and therefore I'm addicted to it and I don't even know it. Bible also says to avoid anything that could even precipitate or resemble sin. And that goes for not just alcohol. We could look at anything that goes in that category, all right? Anything that leads to idolatry and food and everything else. But ultimately it comes down also to our testimony, okay? And that's so important. And not causing other people to stumble. You may say, I have freedom now. I know, Brett, I have biblical definition. I'm going to go water this stuff down three parts to one and I'm good. And you would be correct. You would be. Okay? You're good to go. Go water it down. Go get your five ounce glass at Olive Garden. Dump your bottle of water in it and go with it. But is it still okay? Could you potentially cause somebody to stumble? Let's look at Romans 14 as we close, 19 through 21. Romans 14, 19 through 21. Turn with me there. Romans 14, 19 through 21. Therefore, let us Pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, that's onios, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Pretty simple, right? So how do I make somebody stumble if they know you're a follower of Christ okay and they see you at the store buying this stuff could you potentially make somebody stumble I already told you we have recovering alcoholics in this church do you think if they saw me going and buying alcohol at Walmart today that they would think very much of me and if they still did they might do the wrong thing and say man I think a lot of Brad and how he walks with the Lord if he can do it so can I and they have an issue with it that maybe I don't okay you see how about your kids you know your kids are watching you it's your modeling behavior for your children dr. Falwell always said and I'll always say it every time I preach on this and everything else what you do in moderation your kids will do in excess okay basically what that means is you've given them the green light for that behavior you may be in control of your alcohol great They won't be when they get out of your sight in college, I promise you. They won't be. And you modeled the behavior. I went to a young man's house one night who called me at 1 a.m off a football team where I used to do devotions and gave all the kids my number so you ever get in a bad moment call me he calls me at one o'clock I didn't recognize the number so I was like dude that is crazy I'm not answering the phone at one I don't know who that is it hung up and immediately ran back I was like somebody needs me I pick up the phone this kid's in tears said Brad we need you right now it's like what's up I said, my friend is drunk he's about to die can you get here long story short long story I don't have the time to go through all of it I go over there, this young man had passed out drunk. He had drank pretty much a fifth of Jack Daniel's with some Dr. Pepper inside of a few hours. He had passed out drunk In the sedation of the alcohol, the drug, had actually stopped him from breathing. Luckily, one of his teenage buddies, can you believe that? Tell me that's not Jesus. How many teenage boys pay attention to where somebody's breathing or not? Somehow, one of the young men looked and said, My buddy ain't breathing and they woke him up and they kept having to wake him up because he kept wanting to go back to sleep and they kept him alive until eventually we got him to the hospital because i had to go with him because they could not get in touch with mom or dad so i'm at the hospital at two three in the morning getting ready to go hunting at five in the morning somehow (laughs) because it was in november until this young man came out of it and was fine and he told me this. He said, Brad, I got it from my dad's liquor cabinet. I've watched him do it and I thought it was not going to affect me. He almost died. Many people die on college campuses every year from that right there because somebody just thinks, oh, look, he's passed out drunk. That's funny, but he stopped breathing or she stopped breathing and they die. Somebody's little girl somebody's little boy so is it wise I think you can answer that question if the Spirit of God's really speaking to you right now is it necessary do you really need it yeah you can dilute it you can say Brad I'm taking it home to dilute it down great I could buy it today and say I'm taking it home to dilute it down the person that sees me be like, Yeah, sure you are. And I just caused them to stumble. So, what would the Lord have you do in the light of all this truth that's been presented today with no opinion? Because the command at the end of verse 18 was to be filled with the Spirit nothing, 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 nothing. Let nothing else control you. Jesus put him on the throne right now today cast out whatever it is that maybe you have been kind of poked on by the finger of the Lord today be like I wanted you to hear this because I know you hadn't heard it before because nobody preaches on it what would the Lord have you do the truth's been presented now it's not my call It's your call with the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's somebody here who's way deep in it and they need to be set free. Please come and let us know. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our head. And if the Lord's spoken to you today, today, Whatever it is, I want you you to say yes. James says the man that knows what he should do and does not do it, it's sin for them. So if you know now what you should do, but you still try to justify it, or you try to run to another teacher that'll tickle your ears, you'll find plenty of them and give you a different opinion, a different view. You can do that if you want. Or you could just surrender and say yes to Jesus right now when you've heard the truth with no opinion. Lay it down. Let's not cause our brothers and sisters to stumble anymore. Let's be filled completely, totally, always with the Spirit. No legalism, not legalism. Laying it down doesn't justify you with God. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Just lay it down for his glory. If you're here today, you've never accepted Christ as Lord of your life. Maybe you've been controlled by other things, the things of this world, your flesh, your own understanding. And you want to surrender your life completely to the Lordship of Jesus. I want you to do that today. I'm going to lead you through a prayer and I want you to pray from your heart to God's heart To I mean business with God and get it right with him. Or if you're here today and you say, Brad, I've been a Christian, I've received the Lord earlier in my life, and man, there was a time I was on fire, but lately I've drifted away. Man, my, my, my love has gone cold, and I, I want to run back to my first love today. I want to get on fire for the Lord. I, I want to I seek Him and, and live for His glory with everything I do, so I want to rededicate my life back to Him today. If that's you, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart. Mean business with God right now across this place. To receive Him for the first time or to rededicate your life, just say, Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. I've messed it up to this point in my life. And Lord, I wanna get it right. And I know that only happens through you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin and be redeemed, restored, and renewed, that I could be set free. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he was God in victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I need and claim that victory right now in my life. So Lord, I'm running back to you and I'm falling on my face at the cross and I'm saying now you have all of me. You are Lord of my life. I'm surrendering my will to your will. I'm surrendering my understanding to your understanding. This day forward, you have all of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer 100% heartfelt, you meant business with God. I want you to forget the person around you, beside you. I want you to forget what time it is. I don't even know what time it is. I want you right now, if you made that decision to receive Him for the first time or to rededicate your life to Him boldly and unashamed. Raise your hand. Tip right, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God to receive Him today for the first time or to rededicate my life back to Him. Amen. And if I don't see you, God does.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, Please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.